everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's Brian and Jeff here uh, on Real Hawk Talk, and we're here on Halloween Eve, Halloween here. Uh, uh, appreciate those folks that are tuning in, and appreciate Jeff, uh, the one Hawk blogger uh, person on the crew who's available tonight. We have a, an awesome show. We've got a really special guest, uh, Dave Bowling, uh, formerly of the Tacoma News Tribune. Uh, former offensive lineman uh, back when he played, not in the NFL, but uh, a lineman nonetheless. Uh, really great insights into the Seahawks. Covered them for you know many, many years. Um, super smart guy, novelist. Uh, uh, really looking forward to having him. Um, before we get going, though, as always, please, uh, as a reminder, click the subscribe button. Um, it would be great to uh, grow the base. The more people that subscribe, the more great guests we can bring on. Um, and the more you know, value we can bring to all of you talking about the Hawks. So please do that. Please retweet and share the show. Let's get as many people here as we can. Um, and if you aren't already, what's keeping you guys? Join, uh, join the Hawk Blogger Insiders crew, uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk Blogger. You can join, uh, get part of the Insider Facebook group, uh, get more access to us, talk about what's going on, um, meet other fans. Place is a little friendlier than Twitter can be. All of us are here to be, uh, you know, meet each other and just talk Hawks and talk about what we what we do. And um, it's been great to have that this year. And, and there's some other bonuses in there as well. So please join up. All proceeds uh, go to go to Ben's Fund, um, go to charity. So it's a great way to get a little bit additional Seahawks coverage and uh, contribute to a, a great cause. So. With that, Jeff Simmons, what is going on, dude? How are you feeling? Dude, the last three days have been a total roller coaster. Just for Sunday had to be the maybe I would argue the craziest Seahawks regular season game, maybe throughout the Pete Carroll era, maybe since I've been watching the team. It reminded me a lot of that Pittsburgh game a couple years ago. I, I think I yep. tweeted out during the game. There were so many similarities to that game, but man, watching Wilson and Watson play in that game was unbelievable. And just the twists and turns in that game and just the crazy swings from that late interception, the last minute touchdown. I just couldn't get over it. Still, I'm still reeling from like how crazy that game was. And I've, I know the NFL Network's playing a replay tonight, and I, I was trying to hoping to catch that. I, I taped it, but man, that was nuts. And We've been waiting to see that from this great Russell Wilson game all year. And I would argue that's the best game he's ever played in the NFL. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, what stood out to you the most about 
you know, what jumped out to you about how he played? Um, what jumped out the most was how good his deep ball accuracy was, how, how, in, how, how good he was, like how concise he was with his throws all year. Me and you have been talking about how we want to see that Russell from 2015. who's reading the defense, making those quick, quick reads, getting the ball out quickly, accurately. Early in the year, he was struggling with that. But this was the 2015 Russell, probably be- a better version than, than the one we saw. And the way he kept bouncing back and bouncing back and kept playing from behind and all the deep balls he was hitting on. The deep ball accuracy had been a thing we'd been wondering about lately. And to see him bounce back with that kind of performance was off the charts. I, I don't think he's ever played a game that good. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that Russell – has always been special with is his ability to throw a really catchable deep ball. And, you know, what do I mean when I say that? Um, there are guys that will throw it on a the line. There, will, there are guys that will um, hit a player in stride. You know, they, they're, they're looking for a specific run underneath kind of uh, deep throwers. What Russell Wilson does really well is he throws a ball with a lot of trajectory, a lot of height. Um, that is really accurate. It comes down, um, you know, it comes down right at a place where the receivers are often able to get position. And if they are good at high pointing the ball, if they're able to be the type of player that can jump, catch it at its highest point, um, and you know, outmuscle the defender for it, there's a lot of yards to be gained there. I mean, Golden Tate, Pro Bowl receiver now, a lot more notoriety, but he was not a very good receiver when he came into the league, but he did one thing really well. And that was, even though he was 5'10", the guy could out jump and out muscle and high point the ball. That was a big part of how he and Russell became such a great duo. Honestly, I don't think they've had anyone that's that's been able to replicate that since he left. Closest might've been, you know, they, Jermaine Kirsch had one year where he kind of did it. Um, and then really fell off. He, he, I think that was a huge part of how he fell out of favor is he just wasn't able to do that as often. And the other guy was one game, Chris Matthews in the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. you know, those are the only two guys that I think have done it with any regularity. And what was just so amazing about that game from Russell is just he got absolutely nothing for the running game. That was probably the worst collective game for the running backs all season. The run blocking was atrocious. And the left tackle last week, Reese, after a great game against the Giants, totally whiffed against Javian Clowney. And it's not an easy matchup, obviously, but Clowney owned him on several occasions. To do that with that kind of performance, where you're getting absolutely nothing from the run game. He pretty much carried the team, and it just makes that offseason narrative where the defense doesn't like Russell, and they're carrying the team, and he's not pulling his weight. Maybe that was a thing that was going on in the – that just looked laughable on Sunday. And Russell, as much as I've complained about some of his early games, I think he's put himself maybe in the MVP conversation the last two weeks. Absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Who's doing more on an individual basis right now for their team, considering, well, the offensive line's been on the left tackle position, a total disaster. The running game has been as bad as it's ever been in the Pete Carroll era. To do what he's done the last two weeks, especially this last game where Deshaun Watson had an unbelievable game. Yeah, he's right up in there with Tom Brady, I think, right now. Yeah, you got Carson Wentz, you got Tom Brady, and you've got, I think, Russell Wilson. And uh, Wilson is number two in the NFL right now in passing yards per game. 
Um, you've got uh, uh, Tom Brady, who leads, I think he's at 317 yards a game. Russell's right at like 286 or something like that. Wentz is down at 257. Um, but, you know, Wentz has got 19 touchdowns. Russell's got 15. Brady's got 16. So, you know, <laughs> you can never argue with Tom Brady winning an MVP. The guy is the best player that's ever played the game. And, and as much as I'd love him not to win again, um, you know, he this Patriots team is is struggling as well. That defense, they just lost uh, Donta Hightower. That, that story is going to get lost in the mix this week with all the other news. Yeah. That's a huge loss to the Patriots. He, uh, the Patriots absolutely, 100%, do not win either of their last two Super Bowls if Donta Hightower is not on that roster. So, um, you know, Brady's going to have to do more, I think, even than he's done in the past to keep that team um, you know, at the top of the AFC East. And, and I think they've got some reasonable challengers in what the Bills and, and the uh, Jets are going to provide. Yeah, and yeah, the correct thing about Brady right now, if we're talking MVP, is that I think their defense is ranked 32nd in DVOA and their offense is ranked first. That's, that's just a crazy the way Bill Belichick builds his teams. He's a defensive guy. They're terrible on defense, even when they had Hightower. Now they're they're abysmal on defense. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's a team that that's part of what is so exciting about where the Seahawks are. Is like exactly. I, I tend to you know really you know last year, um, it was a year where as a Seahawks fan, you really just had to buy in the idea of like, you know, it's better to be hopeful than to be pessimistic. Um, but realistically, you look at the Atlanta Falcons, you're like that's a that offense is way better than either our, our defense or our offense. It just was a better unit. Same thing about the Patriots offense now. And we went in there last year and beat them in, in New England, and that was great. But, um, you know, that's a that's a tough team. And so this year you look around and the Eagles are getting hype. It's convenient because they are the only one-loss team. But is anyone really scared of the Eagles? Like, are they dominant in any way? The Chiefs, you know, they were looking like the dominant team or close to it. Their defense is pretty terrible right now. Um, the Patriots' defense, as you mentioned, is down. Uh, you know, look, the, the the Eagles, the Falcons, they got to come to Seattle um, this year. The Cowboys are down and, and could be without Zeke for the next six weeks. Like, I mean, the Saints? Who's the challenger here other than, other than the Eagles um, to what the Seahawks should be able to do? Yeah, and I think John Schneider agrees with your view, and I think that's why they've been so aggressive this year in how they've been handling these trades in, in the season. And right now, you're right. Is, who's, who's got a better shot right now than the Seahawks, especially when Russell's playing like this? Because all all summer, the first four or five games of the year, we were saying that one thing that makes this team a Super Bowl team is Russell Wilson. They got a, they got a good to great defense. They got a ton of skill position talent. The offensive line seems like it's starting to come around. I, I don't, I don't want to get – I don't want to say that. I'm scared to say it, but – <laughs> Russell's what takes his team over the top. And when he's playing like that, the Seahawks can beat anyone, especially in this NFL right now where there is no great team. And you mentioned Atlanta. Atlanta's looked pretty terrible this year. I know some of their underlying numbers are pretty decent, but other than that, their one, I think, game on Sunday night, they haven't played even a good game this year. And Green Bay's without Rodgers. Carolina traded Calvin Benjamin today. 
New Orleans, uh, I don't, I don't know. They just don't. I don't. I'm not a believer yet. They have some good players. Arizona's a fraud. The Rams are good, but Rams are a good one, right? Like the Rams are legit. Yeah, the Rams are good. I, I think the Rams, um, you know, they beat Jacksonville on the road. I don't think that's an easy thing to do. They beat the Cowboys on the road with, with you know, pretty much the full complement of, of Cowboy players, um, and. You know, when we went into play, when the Seahawks went into play the Rams in L.A., all the Rams' defensive numbers were down the low 20s, even the, the 30s. You know, they were like one of the worst defenses statistically in the NFL. But really, since the second half against Dallas, that defense has been one of the top five in the NFL. Um, I think DVOA, they're like th- three or something like that. I mean, they're super high up there in terms of the quality of that defense. Um, So... I think they're legit. I think their offense is good and against most teams is going to be good enough. If not, you know, it's going to overwhelm them. And uh, against good defenses like the Jaguars and against the Seahawks, uh, yeah. they'll struggle. I, I don't think that Goff is good enough. Um, but they're absolutely, with their schedule and that team, they could be. They could maybe lose one or two more games. Um, I'm, I'm happy that the Seahawks get them at home as well. Yeah, and the cool thing about the Seahawks and I guess the Rams to an extent is they have so many different ways they can win. And the last couple of weeks, our, what we've been talking about lately has been how great the defense is. They they were fantastic against the Giants, albeit they don't have much talent there. The Rams game, they pretty much won on their own with all those turnovers. And now this game, the defense gets – it's not an easy assignment to play Deshaun Watson. The way he plays is actually a terrible matchup for how Seattle plays – Pete Carroll historically has struggled with mobile quarterbacks that can move around the pocket. Everyone remembers the Vince Young USC game. Uh, Alex Smith always gave his defense trouble, even in the hard by years. Although he's able to roll out and extend the play, but now all of a sudden the offense looks like a juggernaut. And yeah, Houston's missing Watt. They're missing Merciless. They're not great in the secondary, but man, I was blown away by how good Paul Richardson looked, how good Tyler Lockett looked. Doug Baldwin didn't even dominate like he has the last couple of weeks. But, man, these guys got crazy weapons. Tanner McAvoy got down the field. J.D. McKissick's a weapon in the passing game. Jimmy Graham had the, those two touchdowns, although he wasn't covered on the last one. Man, these guys are scary when they're rolling like that. Yeah, look, I, I, uh, I wrote about it today, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more with Dave here in a few minutes when he joins. But since I think it's week three, um, the Seahawks are the third highest scoring offense. They're averaging 30.8 points a game and the second most prolific yardage offense at 411 yards a game or something like that. So this has a, been a unconventionally dominant offense. You know, it took really the last few weeks for that to click in, but they've scored 40 points, over 40 points in their last two home games. Their only game under 425 yards of offense in the past five was against the Rams. Um, and even then, you know, they were able to put it down a 75-yard drive to get a touchdown in a, in a game that they needed it and, you know, got a few field goals. So, um, yeah, I think the offense is looking really good. And and this the overreaction this week that we will see, it's, I've already seen, is, oh, but the defense, what's wrong with the defense? They gave up 38 points. Well, Look, you can't go from being number one in the NFL in scoring defense one week ago to being a major problem now. Like, that just doesn't jive. So, um, 
I see that that the defense is still good. I'm not too worried about them. Are they, you know, absolutely dominant? Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I think they still can be. And people forget five sacks, three interceptions, a defensive touchdown. Seahawks don't win that game. No matter how well Russell Wilson played, they don't win that game if the defense doesn't make those plays. And they did. So um, I think that matters as well. Yeah, I came away from that game not discouraged at all by the defense. I was pretty encouraged by a lot of things I saw. I just thought it was a bad matchup with how Seattle runs their scheme with Watson, Fuller, and Hopkins. And those are great players that have been in every defense right now. And we talked about the dangers Deshaun Watson poised last week, and he was way better than I thought he would be. And I was just, I was blown away with how well Frank Clark played. Uh, he's been an absolute terror since taking over for uh, Cliff Averill and I thought Dwight Freeney looked pretty good off the edge. And I think now I know Earl Thomas is a little banged up, but I still think it against a normal team without those crazy receivers on the outside and Deshaun Watson, who's legitimately an MVP candidate right now. I think Seattle will be a good to great defense all season long, especially at home. Yeah, it's a great, great call out on um, Frank Clark. Uh, one of the interesting stats that came out was from pro football focus that had him as having the best pass rushing performance of any individual on any team all season um, against the Texans. So that's pretty impressive. Um, there's a lot of great pass rushers in the NFL and um, there's been some great weeks for, for different folks. Um, and for, for Frank Clark to have the best, I think that's an interesting topic. I'm really curious about one of the, the, things that people haven't paid attention to as much is Dwight Freeney coming in meant that Frank Clark shifted to the left side to rush. So Freeney's yeah. been on the right, Clark moved over to the left. Um, and be interesting to see if, you know, the impact of that in terms of his pass rush, obviously when Cliff Averill was around, um, Clark was doing a lot of rushing from the left side. Averill preferred the right, um, you know, it might be a better setup. Clark might be more productive in that kind of situation. And, the pass rush is pretty darn good. Um, yeah. Uh, given given how much Houston was max protecting. Yeah, and the, it's going to be a really fun game next week against Washington for the pass rush. Trent Williams, the left tackle, is, is banged up. I don't think he's going to play. Brandon Scherf, their stud guard, he's banged up. I don't think he's going to play. And now another quiet thing from the game was Michael Bennett looked probably the best he's looked all year. He was he had a big run stop in the last series of the drive. He was he was getting penetration all game. He was active. When you have him, Clark, Freeney, and Sheldon Richardson, we're still waiting to see that dominant rush, that dominant sack. But he, he's been a really solid player, not a great player. And Jaron Reed, this is a really, really good defensive line. And that might be the strength of their defense right now. Yeah, it's uh, especially we'll see what happens with uh, the Earl Thomas injury. Um, yeah, we'll get uh, that. yeah, that's a that's important. Obviously, I think we'd all hope that this team's a little bit better equipped to handle an injury like that with um, with Bradley Bradley McDougald, who you know has been a starter in this league before, um, to come in and fill in. But you know, Earl's everybody knows um, absolutely crucial to this defense and. If it means him taking a week to make sure that he's fully healed, I sure hope they do it. I mean, um, the guy's a speed player. He's a fast twitch player. You know, let's keep it as a low-grade hamstring strain and not make it more serious. 
having said that, you know, I, I've talked to a number of these guys enough to know that's not how they're wired. That's not how they definitely not Earl either. No, I mean, you know, from the receivers to the cornerbacks, to even all of them. I mean, Michael Bennett playing with a, a plantar fascia injury. So, yeah. um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm concerned. Well, before uh, Dave comes on, we haven't even talked about the story of the week. And obviously, Russell Wilson was off the charts good, but Seahawks made a big trade yesterday. Uh, Monday, was it? I think it officially came through today. Dwayne Brown, the guy you've been talking about all summer since George Fant went down, gets traded. The, the, I don't know if everyone has seen this, but Jeremy Lane did fail his physical, and the terms of the initial trade have changed. So now Seattle's giving up a third-round pick this year, a second-round pick next year, and receiving a fifth-round pick this year, and Jeremy Lane is still on the roster. They have to figure out what to do there. They have an extra roster spot now. But, man, you were on this today. This is a game-changing move. This is a move that completely could change the course of the season. Look at who Seattle's yeah, had left it, tackle, man. Luis Odiano, Bradley Sowell, George Fanlow, who's never played football before. Now you got a, a all-pro player at left tackle. Like, what a what a game changer that is. It's huge. Um, and and for those folks that are waiting for Dave, uh, Dave's having a little technical difficulties getting a. Uh, getting on he's he's still working on it so you might see me uh trying to do some tech support for dave as we're talking here but we've been talking about Dwayne brown for a while right um yeah uh, we knew that the seahawks had a real issue once fant went down and um you know i knew from early on that that the brown is a guy that they were interested in targeting and and had early conversations about him and um i think that this is a guy that didn't frankly want to be in houston anymore from from what i can tell and um is high enough quality still at a high enough level um and uh the type of player played in his own blocking scheme good run blocker good pass blocker quality individual um you know there you could go on down the list and we will he brings so much to the table for this team not just being a great um player at the left tackle spot but how he can impact the younger players. This is the youngest offensive line in the league. Um, and he's coming in there and now um, gets to be a, a rock solid contributor, which, uh, you know, as we'll, we'll talk about, just has so many downstream impacts um, to, to how you can scheme around that and how you can move um, protection to help other guys on the line that might need it more than he does. And, and I know Rob yeah, ranked today because uh, I rewatched the game. And, and I was really impressed with Bram, especially a guy who hasn't played all summer, not training camp, Seattle defensive line in Seattle. That's not an easy matchup. But just looking at how easily he moves defensive linemen off the line of scrimmage and how good he looks in the run game and how space he creates. And like Seattle had Russell Okung for most of the Carroll era, and he was up and down with injuries. He really only had one great season, a lot of good seasons, but. I think a lot of us fans just undervalued the luxury of having a really good, stable left tackle because we saw what it got like when we lost one. And the last two years had been a total disaster. I mentioned those names before. Those are guys who are grading in the bottom of the league. I don't think any of them are starting players. To get a guy like this as your left tackle, at least for the next two seasons, it's such a difference maker for Russell. It's such a difference maker for the run game. Play action, deep shots. The big thing Russell couldn't do in a lot of the early games is he didn't have time to look down the field and go through his reads, and he was rushing his throws. This just 
it almost makes the whole line better. It makes everyone better because you're not having guys whiff off the bat at left tackle on the blind side. And this is so important for what the Seahawks want to be. And for the offensive production, it's, it's such a game changing move for the Seahawks. And it was a really great trade despite the price. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Lane can't even leave town uh, in a way that helps the Seahawks. Um, he can never leave you. Uh, so, um, look, uh, it's not just getting a, a really high quality left tackle. It is sure. who you're replacing. Um, Riso Diambo, you know, second year player, he's a third round pick. Obviously, you hope for, for him to turn things around or start getting traction. Clearly, he's not ready to play. Certainly not ready to start. Yeah. And the team, you know, the way I look at it and the way I kind of wrote about it this morning was people are going to say this was, oh, Dwayne Brown came in and saved the Seahawks offense. What do we just talk about? The Seahawks offense, here's a stat that to me blows my mind, and I haven't heard it, you know, repeated enough, but I wrote on Sunday night. This offense has gained more yards through seven games than any Seahawks offense other than the 2005 squad in the wow. history of the franchise. That's crazy. That's crazy, right? Um, yeah. And so I think that that when you're going from an offense that's already starting to pick up that kind of steam and then um, take the player who is the worst player out of all 22 uh, on the field, um, especially all – 11 on offense and you replace him with a guy who now isn't just the best on the offensive line. You could argue he's the third best player on the offense. Um, yeah. That's just a, a massive upgrade. Um, and uh, you know, kudos to John Schneider for finding a way to do it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find a reason not to like the trade. I know Brown's about 32 years old, but I don't know. I, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want to upgrade such an important position that's been such a a black hole for the Seahawks the last couple of years. I just don't I don't care what they gave up. They got Dwayne Brown and they got a left tackle that can play. It makes such a world of difference. Now the big question is how do you get the run game going? Because we're gonna get into this later probably with Dave and we're gonna have to talk about this later. If we're gonna if there's one negative to take away from the, the Houston game, I don't think it's the defense. I think it's how bad the run blocking was and how bad all of the running backs looked. They were a total zero. They were, what were they? 0.1 yards a carry for most of the game. Uh, yeah. I'm almost at the point. Remember in 2007, Mike Holmgren had, he had those four receivers. It was Engram Hackett, Burleson and branch. And pretty much Sean Alexander was on his last legs. Hutchinson was gone. He's like, all right, we're, we're pretty much ditching the run game entirely. I can't see Pete doing that, but at some point maybe you do. I know, I know running so important to what their philosophy, but, Man, I'm stumped what to do there. I don't know. Chris Carson was a bigger loss than I even thought. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that, that's that's been a major blow to to how the offense is functioning, and I think they were getting close to him. You know, in terms of of having some pr productivity, I think Luke Jokel being injured. That's one thing that um, you know he's doing better than Bosick. That, that's that's something that that I. I told, I mean, we talked about it during training camp when I was yeah. scouting Ethan Posick. What I saw right away is this guy is absolutely better pass blocker than most of the guys on that line. Not very strong in the run. He's just, he gets, it's not that he gets knocked over the way he did at times, but um, 
he he just does he's not a, a a road grader he doesn't move people and um i expected him to be a little bit more so i was a little surprised looks like he just needs to fill out a little bit a full off season yeah. maybe it will help him get some of that strength but short of that you know i see posic being a guy who's at least as good if not better of a pass protector than than jokel but he's not the run blocker and, and not the Jokel's some terrific run blocker, but he's better. He's more technical. Um, I think he's a little more experienced. And uh, so I, I think they are missing that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Justin Britt, I, I don't think you can underestimate the guy playing on a bad ankle this week. And Pete even mentioned it this morning, or I think on Monday morning that uh, he just didn't have the same power and push that he normally would have because of that ankle. So um, I think there's a few factors there that are contributing Jeff, if, if the thing that we have to wait, you know, worry about is can Tom Cable get the run game going? Uh, you know, I'll take it. I, yeah, I, I, I certainly you don't hear people say that, that Tom Cable doesn't know how to do run blocking or the run game. You hear that he can't do pass protection. So if he's going to figure out the run, if he's if he got the pass protection figured out, he's going to figure out the run game. Let's give that a shot because the other way certainly has not been working the past couple of years. This line must drive Cable nuts. It's like pretty much the opposite of everything he's had his whole <laughs> career. Maybe so. I mean, maybe I so. So, would you still roll with Lacey on the team? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not any. I, I'm not what you'd call a Lacey lover. Um, but yeah. um, I don't know if I'm ready to cut bait on him yet and just sure. outright cut him. Um, I think that. With some decent blocking, he's still a viable back. Do I think Mike Davis might be a better option? Yeah, he might be. I, I'm not sure of it. And if the thing is, if you let Lacey go, he's gone. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm I'm more inclined to keep him around for a couple more weeks and and see what this line looks like. You know, what the running backs look like with this line, and and you know, make sure that Thomas Rawls is able to stick around a little bit. Yeah, I found myself far more frustrated with Rawls than I was with Lacey this last couple games. And maybe because my expectations of Rawls are different and maybe it's unrealistic based on what he did a couple times last year and as a rookie. But, man, I expect more from him. That drop in the end zone was really bad. He had that terrible fumble in the Giants game. He took a terrible penalty on what should have been a touchdown to Richardson, although it was kind of a ticky-tack call. He, he, to me, is more of a disappointment. I've been – and Lacey, Lacey kind of is what he is. He he gets what's there. He blocks. He he doesn't have speed. He doesn't have explosiveness. He's a straight-ahead power runner. But Rawls looked like a, a guy who can really be a difference maker. And he's been too much of a disappointment, too not durable enough, too much of a non-factor. And I want to see more from him rather than Lacey. I think he's, he's the one who irked me uh, last Sunday for sure. Yeah, I don't know that they're um... – <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm going to try to get Dave on the phone. We're going to do something a little bit uh, unorthodox okay. here and see if it works. Um, okay. Uh, give me one second. Let me give Dave a call and, and uh, you yeah. uh, tell us what you think about um, the, the Jeremy Lane debacle. Well, there's two ways to look at it. It's unfortunate that they have to give up that pick. That third round pick was really important based on they gave up that second round pick for Sheldon Richardson. However, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have additional cornerback depth of this spot. If they can make the salary cap situation work, it's not the worst thing in the world. 
Well, I was pretty disappointed. I think there was ways he could have filled that fifth cornerback spot with Deshaun Shedd nearing a return. Byron Maxwell still on the market. You could have got him at like a league minimum. So it's an unfortunate situation because Lane seemed to be just kind of drifting the way this team runs. His tweets last week after getting benched. Oh, and it looks like we're getting close to have Dave on. But I would have liked to see Lane just move on, start a new career in Houston. He's from Texas. He's family there. He visits a lot. I was kind of hoping for a fresh start for him. So it's a kind of a tricky situation. But I'm happy to have that fourth cornerback that can slide in. Now you have a nickel corner. If something happens to Justin Coleman, you got an outside guy. If something happens to Griffin, it's not the worst thing in the world, but definitely not what I wanted. And definitely not what Brian, who's been hard on lane all year, wanted. And yeah. So, so it, it, yeah, the, the, the lane, uh, Jeremy Lane keeps on giving or taking. Um, one <laughs> way or another. Uh, I, I want to, we're going to try something a little crazy here. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't get Dave on the show uh, with video, just some, some technical difficulties. So we've got him on the phone here. I've got him up to the mic and, and I'm going to ask folks uh, online to tell me if they can hear him once we start this to, to make sure this is a uh, getting, hopefully Jeff, you can hear him, but um, Dave Bowling is a former columnist of the Tacoma News Tribune, um, a guy that uh, was often on the Seahawks roundtable on KJR for years, um, worked with Mike Sando. Those, I think they're, they've been close. And, uh, uh, you know, Dave's a guy that has, you know, background playing offensive line um, back in the day and uh, has also become a novelist, uh, you know, a decorated novelist. So uh, really an awesome resource in the Northwest. Um, super smart guy. I've always loved listening to him and, and just welcome to the show, Dave. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. I hope people can hear me, but uh, unfortunately I am what you would call a uh, technological terms an old fart. <laughs> and, uh, and so when you say get on Google Hangout, uh, all of a sudden I started getting, you know, I have to unblock uh, the son of Bougie Vault and get into, uh, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And it was in passwords, and I started saying bad words um, uh, about halfway through it. But uh, at any rate, I, I apologize for that. Maybe next time we can we can figure this out. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I don't know that I can be much help to you guys because I'm not out there uh, at the Seahawks every day, and uh, as I was for thirty some years. So well, neither were, neither are we, Dave. But but the, yeah, the point is, you you were out there for thirty years, so so you've got plenty to yeah. offer us. Don't you worry about that. Oh, okay. You know, it's a it's a real interesting transition. You know, as you say, I've got some other irons in the fire, and I'm. Uh, you know, I, I had an, uh, my second novel come out this uh, this summer, so it was, the timing was pretty good to get finally downsized. It was, uh, you know, it was something I could see coming, and uh, I, I had uh, developed something of an escape route for myself as, as a writer. So uh, I've been focusing on that, and, and maybe of some interest to, uh, you know, to your constituency, I've got a book deadline tomorrow, and it's a collaboration that I'm doing with uh, the great Kurt Warner. Um, you uh, of Seahawks remember. fame or of Rams uh, fame? Yes, yes, the Sea Kurt. <laughs> and uh, he he and his uh, he and his wife Anna um, kind of it seemed like they kind of disappeared for a good long time, and a 
couple of years ago, I got a call from him and said, Hey Dave, you know, I remember you and, and, uh, you've been recommending me to me doing books. Uh, we want to do a book about our lives. And I said, well, what in the world have you guys been up to? And as it turns out, they didn't, uh, Really, they weren't captured by a cult or anything like that, but they were uh, basically uh, in their house spending every day trying to to uh, get help for a pair of twin sons who were very low on the uh, aut autism spectrum. And uh, it's an amazing story how, uh, you know, the sacrifices they gave to to try to get uh, these kids well, and they were violent, and they were self-injurious. And at one point, one of them set, uh, set a fire that burned the house down. Yep. And, uh, and through all this, they, um, you know, they stayed married with, with two kids, and, and it's really a love story. And anyway, um, we wrote it up, and um, one of Amazon's imprints uh, called Little A uh, bought it, and uh, tomorrow is the, the first deadline for copies. So I'm going through the last edit here, but I, I think it's something that Seahawks fans are really going to love a look inside the life of a guy who uh, has so much character, uh, you know, so much beyond what he did on the football field. It's really an inspiring story. So, so that's kind of what I've been up to these days. That's uh, that's amazing, and and uh, for folks that are listening, um, the know our show. Um, Dave and I actually haven't even talked about um, our connection uh, with with autism and the work we try to do on the blog. But but Dave, uh, it's funny. I, I I've I've met Kurt and I've talked to him about um, mm -hmm. about his experience. I as well have a son with autism and. Um, I've also okay. you know worked with Tracy Schneider and John Schneider on their Ben's mm -hmm. Fund. All the proceeds we get from um, Hawk Blogger are donated to Ben's Fund. So we've donated over sixty thousand dollars in the past, you know, few years. And um, with a lot of folks listening, we've got a bunch of folks that are contributing this year. And we're, we're hoping for a record year, um, hoping to raise twenty thousand dollars this year. So um, uh, wonderful! It's great to hear that that you know you're going to be um, sharing that story because, and I love the way you put it. it, it to stay married through that and keep a family together. Um, you know, I don't think people realize how turbulent that can be. And um, it takes a really special, you know, couple to do it. Um, so it's, it's great to, to kind of share those stories. And, you know, sacrifice, he could have been in, uh, you know, a national broadcast booth for the last 20 years, you know, he's very articulate. And uh, there's, there's any number of things he could have been doing, but the number one priority was helping his wife raise those kids and it's uh it, it's it's going to be a cool story um amazon is committing to it and they certainly have they certainly know how to market and distribute books so we think seahawks fans penn state fans fans of uh you know pe people who have uh, uh, uh special needs kids and anybody who really likes a good love story i think is going to end up uh uh, being drawn to to this, so we're very excited about it. And congratulations for your good work on that. That's uh, it, it's something I knew very little about, and now I know a great deal about. And it's uh, I, I, I'm just stunned by um, you know these kids that deal with this, and the families are really heroes. And uh, and, and what they deal with and what they go through, uh, it's it, it's heartbreaking, 
and it's heartwarming at the same time. Well put, well put, and uh, uh, really looking forward. So, so when you uh, when that comes out, and it's available. Please make sure you you tag Jeff and I, and we'll we'll make sure to spread the word about it as well. I know a lot of Seahawks fans would would love to hear. I'll about do it. it. We should have it out by around the start of next season. So. Terrific, terrific. Yeah. So hey, football. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, turning our attention to football uh, on the field for a second. Um, you know, uh, not everybody um, knows, you know, your background and, um, you know, you, you have some, I know a lot of times questions around the offensive line got directed your way because you have some experience at that position. You know, share a little bit about, you know, what your experience was on the football field, um, you know, and and then let's transition that into starting with what have you seen, If assuming you've been watching the Seahawks this year, uh, um, what have you seen from their offensive line? before we get into the player they just traded for. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was a ball player. I grew up in Chicago. You know, it was kind of uh, been back in the old uh, uh, steel mill days, you know, in that neighborhood. Every, every block had a Big Ten offensive lineman, practically, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, I ended up going to the University of Louisville to, uh, to uh, play uh, under Coach Lee Corso. And, no kidding. Uh, we had yeah, we had a top twenty team, and he really, uh, he really uh, got something started there. And uh, and I was no All American or anything, but I was a center and a long snapper. When back when you could, you would do both of those. It was kind of expected of uh, of a center to know how to snap. So I did all that stuff, and uh, you know I got banged up pretty good. I was probably too small, but I think you learn a lot by getting your ass kicked frequently. <laughs> you know. It's, uh, it's um, you know, you say, uh, you hear people say they've been knocked down a lot in life. I'm talking, I'm talking not metaphorical knockdowns. I'm talking broken nose, bloody, kicked on your ass kind of knockdowns. Uh -huh. you, you, do, you do learn a lot about, uh, about yourself uh, in those situations. And so, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I was always around sports. Uh, I was a grad assistant coach for a year at Louisville and really, really enjoyed that. And, uh, and I ended up getting into journalism and, and uh, sports. And, and although as, as a columnist, I covered a lot of different things. And it was, uh, you know, nothing but love for the Tacoma News Tribune because they sent me around the world, the Olympics, 20 Super Bowls or whatever, and, and got to do everything anybody could, could ever hope to. And, and, uh, and, but football was always my first love. And, you know, you mentioned that some of the beat guys I worked with, you know, I started the trip with Clayton. Clayton and I were, he was the beat guy. And, and, uh, and I was a columnist for three years. And when Mike Sando came and Eric Williams and, and, and a real legacy of really good, really good beat guys. But uh, I, I started with the Seahawks really covering them hard in 1989 and probably staffed 400 games uh, or more um, was at practice almost every practice for 21 years or more than that so um, you know I, I, I go back a little ways but I you know I can't remember much anymore so it's kind of the problem but now this year I, I have not been out I, I was out there during training camp and uh, and I have been to a game and I have watched most of the others, but I'm not breaking down film the way I used to. I've got these other projects that I'm 
that I'm working on that really uh, demand a lot of my time. So uh, I'm keeping an eye on them, and I'm hoping I can have an informed opinion, but uh, it's not like I'm really breaking down films anymore. That's that's fair. Based on what you've seen, uh, what was your impression of the way the Seahawks offensive line played? And you talk about it as a whole group or if there's any individuals specifically that that you noticed, uh, good or bad. Um, love like to hear about it this week. This uh, week. Over the over the course of the season. But if you'd like to focus yeah. on this week, okay. that's fine, too. Well, again, for, for, for that team to be the five and two. Right. Yep. And the quarterback is still ambulatory and healthy yep. and he's taken a beating and he's been pressured and he is a magician. I, I sometimes am amazed that some people are, are critical uh, about Russell. I, I, you know, I've seen the quarterbacks that this team has had. <laughs> I see, I see how important it is to have a franchise quarterback. And this guy is a, uh, is a magician. And I, I just, I, I, I think in, in, in some ways he's underpaid. I think in some ways he is underappreciated. I don't know how many quarterbacks last year I thought, and, and I wrote this a couple times, but these injuries, you know what this is doing? This is giving him an opportunity that he hadn't had before to show just how tough he is and how willing he is to play hurt. And I think the season he had last year, under the pressure he had, with all those injuries, I think was heroic. And the fact that he is doing what he's doing now with the pressure that he's taken, with the turnover on the offensive line, with the, the shortcomings that line has had, and without a running game, uh, has been really MVP caliber. Uh, depends on how far the, the team will go. But, but a lot of that is the line I, I thought early in the year. When, when I went to practice, there were, there were two guys that I thought had really changed their bodies and were in for a big year. Uh, George Fant was one. He was, you know, what, 315 or 320 and lean and powerful. He looked all of a sudden like an NFL tackle. He had a lot of work to do to, to become uh, really adept at it. But he, he certainly looked like it. The other guy that I thought really had worked on his body and it changed was Jaron Reed, and I think he's been playing really well, and it's something you could see that his, his body was in good shape. So when Fant went down, uh, I, I talked to Reese Adiambo, and I think he's a marvelous guy. I, I think he's a, he's a young guy. He, he's supposedly very strong, but I don't think he has great functional strength at left tackle. He's still top-heavy. He still kind of blocks with his chin out. Uh, he doesn't understand even some of the some of the little extents and feeding the guy with you know to uh, to the next man and knowing somebody is coming towards you and, and these are things and it's fairly typical around the NFL there aren't enough good offensive linemen to sustain 32 32 full rosters you know a complement of offensive linemen and and we know all the reasons and it's the, the college game. It's a lack of contact during practices, training camp, et cetera. Those guys need to play. They need to play together. They have to pull together. It's like five fingers pulled into a fist. They have to work in coordination. And when you're, when you're plugging guys in, when you've got guys that are converted from some other position, when you're bouncing guys around, 
you just do not get that synchronization that, that you have to have to be effective. And I think that's at the root of the, of the problems the, the Hawks have had. That's so. So when you add a guy, you know you've got a uh, you're down the player that you know you mentioned standing out. George Fant looked like he was going to be a new player, and and you mm -hmm. put in a guy like Riso Diombo to to step in there, who's you know never really started for the team, and and he's struggling mm -hmm. mightily. How realistic yeah. is it to expect you know how much of a difference I guess I would say or ask can one player like Dwayne Brown make? Um, by adding him, replacing someone like Odiambo and replacing him with someone like Dwayne Brown. How much of a difference think, can that make on the yeah, line? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a great question, but I think it's significant because uh, Brown will make the left guard better. And I kind of like Posit. I kind of like what he looked. He looked very athletic. He looks, he looks smooth. He reminds me of Pete Kendall a little bit. It's a great, uh, great comparison. tight. And body type, and and I think he's got some savvy to him. So all of a sudden, if that kid can can jump in, and and you've got Dwayne Brown, who's going to make the whole side better. If if Russell can can have a sense that there's a there is somewhere where he can launch a pass, some area of protection, uh, I think I think that's a big deal. You're right. It it's hard. You know what? If if there's five guys and one of them gets beaten badly, the play explodes. And, you know, and that's, that's true. But if you can lock somebody down, then you can, you can run games and you can double and you can chip and, and work around some, some of those things a little, a little more effectively. And, and when I saw it, I thought, I thought Dwayne Brown looked pretty good for just coming out of nowhere. Uh, in his first game, and you can just see he's got a great setup. He's got great light. He's got really good hands. He is so veteran. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't panic. They ran a little uh, uh, in tackle stunt with a linebacker loop, and he just he just uh, he just uh, punched and fed the man off and waited, and knowing somebody was coming his way. And and just took care of it. I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a big improvement. It will be interesting to see, you know how he how he fits in. Uh, the fact that they're they're where they are now, uh, with what they've had, where you, you plug in a guy like that, and I I, I think the chances are, are really good because it's not like Gary Evans when they brought him or you know some of these older guys. Um, you know, he's, he's, he appears to have some mileage left on. So I think that's going to pick up the spirits in the room. I think, I think Russell contributed to, to buying himself a, a left tackle. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and, and I kind of like that symbolism. Uh, I, I, I think it's important. And, you know, like you, you wonder when you see, you know, Doug Baldwin go, kind of going after Cable and, and what is it that he was trying to say there? And, you know, you wonder, hey, can you get these guys to protect Russell? Can you buy us some time? Uh, that might have been it. And and uh, I, I think it's something to good. These guys, I think they're in a really good frame of mind and, and feeling pretty good. I think they know they haven't been uh, as consistent and they're not at the level they would probably want to be right now, but I think they're pretty optimistic and something like this could be a real, uh, real uh, emotional springboard for them into the second half of the season, I think.
Um, Dave, I'm glad you brought up Cable because he is such a polarizing figure among fans and even some writers. So I want to know what your impression was him as a coach and just of how much he's had to do with like the lack of development on the line or whether you think that's a pers- more of a personnel issue. Yeah, I just want to know your overall impressions of him when you were around him. You know, I'm a little bit of two minds about this, uh, and it kind of varies from game to game. Uh, I watch him a lot. You know, when he used to be able to watch practices all the time, I would spend a lot of time around the offensive line. And and Tom Cable has gives the impression that he's really this, you know, this gruff, tough guy. He's very professorial. Uh, he he teaches. Uh, he I, I love his approach. Uh, he he puts these guys in stress when they're on the practice field. It's constant. It's going quick, 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 quick. Know your job. Know your assignment. Do it quickly. Execute it. And and it's a he tends to have guys that are pretty smart. And that's why over the years, when the offense has struggled in the first half, uh, it seems like they reboot a little bit somewhere around the middle of the season and say, okay, we got to do what we do. And and one time it was going to march on all of a sudden 25 times a game. Another year it was, okay, we're going to run these zone reads. Uh, and, to be able to make that kind of a change of focus in the middle of the season requires smart offensive linemen. And, and Cable has had that, and he has had those guys ready, and it has been, that has been a big part of why they've been better in the second half offensively most seasons. So I really, think he's a, I really think he's a good coach. I don't know. What goes on in that room and who makes the decisions? I have to assume when they're looking at, at the scouting reports, who they're going to draft. I don't like, uh, I, I'm not just a big fan of the draft picks they've made on the offensive line. Uh, and, uh, you know, Carpenter, Moffitt, uh, there's just been some, you know, they have expended draft capital on the offensive line. And guys just haven't developed or they've been slow to develop. And the theory of bringing converted uh, defensive linemen over, I, I, just, I just have to believe there is an undrafted tackle from USC who, who really understands the game, who might be able to jump in. Because if you're going to convert somebody and then you're going to take need four years to teach them how to play the position, like a J.R. Sneedy, to where they can get competent, uh, then you lose them, and you're either going to have to pay them that uh, uh, contract that you may not want to. And and so I think some of those philosophies, um, I tend to disagree, and I don't think they've they've worked out. Um, obviously, not not as well. But then you look at Justin Brett and and what he's accomplished is one of the biggest surprises I've seen. His development as a center, he is a really fine center. He's, he's, he's a very high-quality NFL center, uh, and I thought he was going to wash out. He was on that James Carpenter expressway to somewhere <laughs> else, going uh-huh. tackle to guard, and then not really finding his place. To become such a good center is a great testament to, to his, uh, I guess, his tenacity and, and the fact that he realized he's got to find a place, and he has really made something very good of himself. So there's a lot of guys that didn't work out 
and and I don't know uh, who's always responsible for that, but I have to I have to think it I have to think it's Tom Cam. Um. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's definitely a lot of um, debate, as you can imagine. He's a pretty polarizing figure among Seahawks fans, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, uh, Jeff and I were kind of joking beforehand. He, I, I, I published a stat years ago that Tom Cable had never had an offensive line um, in the NFL ranked higher than 26th in sack rate. Um, you know, sacks per drop back. And, and he's just, it seems like it's been a blind spot. He always likes to prefer linemen that can, that can run block over ones that can pass block. Um, and now yeah. he's got the 12th ranked, um, you know, line in, in sack rate, um, but they can't run block to save their lives. So, you know, yeah. I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned Brown can be someone that can help with Posick on the left side. Um yeah. You know, are there other things that, you know, just from a scheme standpoint, you know, having played on the line, that if you have one player who's a Pro Bowl caliber player, um, you know, does that allow you to, you know, do more things with doubling or, or change things in, in your, the way you're attacking, um, you know, uh, the defense totally. that could open up some more lanes? Yeah, I, I think absolutely, totally. And I, I have not paid great attention to Dwayne Brown's career. You know, I, I, I just I just haven't watched so many of these guys. I know he's I know he's good. I like what I saw uh on Sunday of him, uh, particularly just coming out of the middle of nowhere. What are they gonna do? They're gonna have to come up. This is about the time every year where they decide who they're gonna be. And now that they have a left tackle, I I expect them to, to come out and have a little bit of a different focus. What's that gonna be? I don't know. You saw them try a screen pass. My goodness, they ran a screen pass. <laughs> uh, and, and you wonder, why haven't they done that? And, and uh, you know, maybe that's something they, they can about. I thought last year, especially with, with, you know, Russell being immobilized part of the season, um, they, I, I thought they could do some more of those things. Uh, I, th- I think there are things they can do. I, I, I thought for a while, you know, they were getting – they were getting some better run blocking and creating better angles by um, running some of those wham plays with Luke Wilson coming coming across and is, is basically a tight end trap block mm-hmm. and that creates some angles and I, I love when they they come up with that sort of a thing. Um, I think I, I I like some of the stuff Texas was run. Oh yeah. Um, I mean they they their offense with. With some of that motion in the back, a little bit of the, the you know, the jet sweep sort of a, of a look, and then some misdirection and throwbacks and stuff. Uh, I, I think they need to watch that film and steal a few of those things because Russell would be would be great uh, at that. But I do, I do, you know, I get the sense some a lot of times with this offense, they're just learning themselves the first half of the season. Um, they're not they're not keeping the wraps on anything, but I think they are, you know, they they're they're feeling for openings. You know, it's like the early rounds of a of a fight, you know, a guy's figuring out what's gonna work, what isn't gonna work, uh, and then in the latter half really uh goes with with what feels good and what suits them. And you know, I I'm not the the Jimmy Graham has been confounding in some ways, and I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure all the fans have have dealt with that. And uh, I kind of got the sense 
that, uh, you know, after dropping one this game, it was like, okay, I have to be better. And it seemed like he almost switched the focus on or something. And, you know, I know players can't really do that. It seemed to me his involvement in, in winning this game looked like he was really attuned to being a Seahawk and to, and to producing and to being Jimmy Graham again. Uh, and I may be making all this up in my mind just watching the game on TV. The, the way he came on, and he and Wilson started screaming at each other, uh, there was some joy there. There was some magic there. Uh, and that was not false emotion. That, that was Jimmy Graham really feeling good about helping this team win a game. And I think that might be um, kind of a theme entering this second half. I think that's a fab and terrific. That's a fabulous point. It, it's a it's a great call out. And um, do you have time for us to ask you two more questions? I know we kept you on a while. Absolutely. Cool. No, no, absolutely. Uh, so Jeff, you had I know you had one more question. Then I wanted to ask a, an unrelated. And, and one. I'd like to say, if anybody has seen my my mugshot in the newspaper, they're probably happy that they don't have to look at me on the video. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at us, Dave. It's not. It, it's not much better. I gotta say, we're. It's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you've mentioned the running game a couple times. I remember in 2007, we talked about. Me and Brian mentioned this earlier. Mike Holmgren almost like ditched the running game and went with the four receivers and said, "This is how we're going to play." This team right now, their personnel seems to be much more adept at passing than running. Can you see a scenario where Pete Carroll does something like that, or are they going to just keep trying to bang their head against the wall until they figure this out? I think they're going to bang their head for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I really do, but, but they have to win games. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there's a real point to sticking with it. That's in Pete Carroll's DNA, is, as you know. Uh, you know, they have that magic number that they talk about, and it's 50. You remember this, this thing where uh, they win the game if they get a combination of 50 completed passes and runs, okay? And it, and it almost always works, and sometimes they do it with less, and it depends on defense and, and, and some other things. But I think that's how they would like to win, and, and the fact is if you are not – carrying the ball, then you're going to have to complete passes. If you can reach that, that sort of a balance, even if it's with fewer runs, uh, I, I think they're going to be fine with that. Uh, you know, there's not, they're not getting rushes out of Russell anymore. You know, he used to be, what, four or five a game maybe uh, that would be uh, run pass options for uh, zone read. Or, or an actually, a, a, you know, a called run, a boot or something. Um, you know, so that's, that is taking away some of the run threat that defenses haven't had to pay attention to. And, and last year they, they went away from it because he, he wasn't doing well. In years past, they kind of picked that up in the second half of the season because it was – uh, okay, you know, we're, we're at this point. Now games get a little more important. Uh, and they may go with something like that to, to help open up the, the, the running effect. Who, 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 who looks good running the ball? You know, there's, there's nowhere for them to go. There's very few holes. Uh, 
I don't see anybody. You know, we saw a nice run or two out of McKissick and, you know, and, and uh, um, Carson, Carson, Chris Carson, is that his name? Chris Carson. Carter? Carson? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Carson. You know, he, he was very promising. Uh, I, I haven't seen Rawls look like Thomas Rawls. Yeah. Um, and and Lacey is, I don't know, maybe he's too light now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the problem. But, but they don't have it, and, and you, you've got to win games. You can, you can be stubborn about it. Uh, but not to the point of, of losing football games. So, I, I, yeah, I think they've got to get creative. Well, so the last question I have for you is, is, is a bit of a departure, but it's obviously been a big mm-hmm. story this season. And, and uh, having listened to you for so long, I know that, you know, you're, you're very thoughtful in how you, you, you know, you, you consider options off the field as well as on. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I've always talked to fans about and I've written about that I love about sports is that, um, you know, for one day a year, you know, for one day out of the week for three hours, you know, it doesn't matter what race, gender, religion, political affiliation, you know, anything you are, you come together, you're a brother or sister of the hawk, you're wearing this colors and you just, you know, you you, you unify. And, uh, you know, it's it's such a divisive culture right now. Um, I think that just becomes even more valuable, um, you know, over time. Um, at the same time, you've got some incredibly serious social issues happening and you've got players who are impacted by this and um, who want to use their position to bring attention to something that they believe is serious and, and obviously right. way more important than the game itself. Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of a two part question. You can kind of take it how you want to, to go. One, uh, you know, what's your point of view on on uh, how to balance uh, what sports is meant to be as an escape, um, you know, uh, and the, the, the political, you know, the, the, the platform that these, this, this, these uh, organizations have and these players have. And, you know, over your course of all the years you've covered sports, you know, have you seen anything like this in terms of the politicizing of sports and, and, and what do you think this means? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and it's and it's a it's a huge essay answer. <laughs> yep. But 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 here's here's my take on it um, off the cuff. I hate seeing protests of the national anthem. Uh, I, I think there is symbolism to it, and and people who you know uh, it, it is really not about the military. It is not about the police. But those people think it is, and mm-hmm. and there is some symbolism to it, and that 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 means different things to different people, and I get that, and I hate that uh, people feel the need to use that as a vehicle for protest. I was a journalist for thirty seven years, and I made a living as uh, you know, I, as 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 one of the ink-stained crusaders for the First Amendment, uh, I truly believe it is a, a free, pa- free press and uh, um, the, 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 the ability to have uh, free speech is the cornerstone of a functioning democracy. Uh, I talked with Nate Boyer uh, um, last spring. Uh, the, the, the snapper 
who tried to be a sniper yep. for the Seahawks, yep. who was a Green Beret, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and he's a very thoughtful guy. And he said, you know what? Yeah, I, I, hate, I see friends carried home in a coffin with that flag on top of them. That's what I think of. But he really said that, that people that he knew realized that the First Amendment, the right to protest, was a constitutional right, and that's part of why those people were, were fighting, what they were fighting for. And, and I truly believe that. And I think the Seahawks, from Paul Allen on down, I think it showed what a class organization they are. I'm sure they don't want this. They don't want these kind of debates. They would love people to just go out and watch the games and to, and to cheer for the teams and not have to deal with that. But Coach Carroll stands behind his players. John Schneider does. Paul Allen does. And the players they have, Baldwin, Sherman, Bennett, these guys are not just hellraisers. These are very thoughtful, bright people who recognize they have a platform and they have a voice in their serious social issues that affect everyone in the country, and they are actually working to try to make a difference. Now, part of it is drawing attention to the cause, and they found a way to do it. I don't know. I know Doug Baldwin doesn't like this stuff. You know, his father was a cop. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people from military families, and they are sensitive to that. It is not talk. Uh, it is it is actually trying to do something about severe social issues uh, in, in America today, and I, and I applaud these guys. Yeah, it's a, definitely a complex issue, and uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, even on the show, it's always a debate in my own mind whether to bring it up because uh, you know it's it's fun to stay focused on the the team. But um, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks for sharing those. Those, Dave. those days are gone. Yeah. You know, it's not the, the, the wall between um, sports and the society that surrounds them is, is, uh, has eroded. And, and how, can, how can it not? How can, how can race issues not be a concern um, when the predominance of uh, the uh, players are minority? Of course they're going to. I'm glad they're concerned about problems that, that we're dealing with. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tough thing, but these guys, I love that you, you look at, listen to Doug Baldwin when he was talking about, uh, de-escalation of conflicts in, in arrest between police and citizens. I mean, I mean, this guy, I, I think Doug Baldwin in, in a lot of ways, I've done a column on this. I think he is the Steve Largent of the new millennium. He, I think he's having that kind of a career. It, it got started a little bit late, but I think he's a spectacular player. But he is someone also who could very easily, I think, end up in government somewhere if, if, if he chose to as a politician. Um, I mean, really, just a, uh, a very, very thoughtful uh, human being. And uh, uh, I, I just think it's, it has been, for, for me, a joy to cover these guys. Uh, you know, I covered until this year, I covered every press conference Richard Sherman ever had from his, from the day he was drafted. Uh, and, and to see the thoughts 
the way this guy's mind works, you know, and and uh, you know, some of the times he's a little bit he's a little bit out there because of his passion. <laughs> yes, he uh, is. But 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 so often, then you get in and you understand, then you talk to him some more, and you understand what it is that that he's getting at and what's what's driven him. And there are a number of people on this team like that. So uh, I I think. You know, regardless of the politics, I think people who are fans of the Seahawks can feel pretty good about the people they're rooting for. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, thank you so much, Dave, for coming on and, and putting up with the technical challenges. And uh, uh, keep us in the loop about all the work you're doing. And, and uh, let's, uh, if we can, we'd love to have you back on another time. Sure. Sure. We'll figure out how to do it. Yeah, well, I'll I'll drive down your way and uh, get get you all figured out. So, uh, all right, all right, take care. Have take a good care. night, Dave. Wow. So, uh, Jeff, that was awesome. Um, lots of good stuff there from Dave. Um, you know, guy that I have a ton of respect for, and and I've listened to him. I can't many tell you how many times I listened to him on on KJR. And uh, <laughs> let's just say I miss him. I miss him. Uh, I was glad to be able to, to bring him on the show today. Yeah, that was awesome. It's always we've got some great guests on the show, but I, like you, I even though I've lived in Toronto, I've always listened to those Seahawks roundtables for as long as I can remember. I've always been able to download them, or we we can't listen live in, in Canada. We're geoblocked, but he offered just a unique perspective, especially on the offensive line, that no one else in the media has in Seattle at least has been able to offer. And I always, I, I've always found him to just be such a fascinating media guy, a little different than a lot of the reporters who usually cover a team. So that was, that was really cool for me. Yeah. He's uh, one of the things I love about uh, Dave is, is he's just bright. He, yeah. he's, he is, he's smart and he's articulate and he doesn't, he looks at, you can tell he looks at the game from a little bit of a different angle than, than the typical beat writer or columnist, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to tear anyone down, but there's some columnists out there now in the local area. And it's like, all they do is some of these folks is they just look for something negative or some kind of provocative uh, take to put out there. And um, it's not, you know, maybe it's functional from the way the business works that they get more clicks, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll call out one this morning. I opened the paper the day after, two days after, an amazing win for the Seahawks where the offense scores 41 points and Russell Wilson does something that's never been done before in the history of the sport, throwing for 450 yards and running for 30. And the top column was, yeah, the Seahawks did well, but they won't get anywhere without a run game. I saw that. Uh, I rolled my eyes too. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about right now? Like, just shove it. It's like, save that. I, I mean – I don't know. I, maybe I'm just too much no, of a glass half full guy, but like, who wants to read that right now? I don't know how you can come out of a game. And I used to cover games in my old job. I, I covered teams. I covered games. I don't know how you can possibly watch that game as a columnist where your job is to do opinion, not like interview players and come up with that. I don't know how you can do that. And that's what made Dave and some other guys, like he mentioned Sando and, Clayton and Shield Capadia, so unique and so good. And yeah, I, I don't, 
don't know how you can watch Russell Wilson have the game of his life and one of the best quarterback duels we've seen in a long time and think, oh, they're not going anywhere until they fix their running game. They legitimately just scored 40 points without any running game. Right. There's so, no way they can win, though, Jeff. I yeah. Mean, they went up against a top 10 DVOA defense and put up, you know, almost 500 yards and 41 points. So there's no way. Exactly. Um, it's just it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, I mean, let's let's run through. I mean, the, the, the top storylines for you. I'll, I'll go through a couple that hit me. We, we talked about Paul Richardson, right? Like, yeah. I think that's a huge story. Tyler Lockett goes for 121. You know, I think that's a big story. I think that Russell Wilson, you know, uh, breaking out isn't just great now. I think there's evidence. We, You and I have talked about it. There's evidence of him starting to look like the player that we saw at the end of 2015. How many times have you and I asked each other just this year, are we ever going to see that again? Was that some kind of mirage? Yeah. He might be in the middle of that right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I could keep going. Frank Clark, uh, Richard Sherman getting two picks. Earl Thomas, you know, getting his pick six. Uh, you know, on down the line, Ethan Postick having another great game in pass protection. Postick is the 10th, 10th ranked offensive guard in pass protection over the last two weeks. 10th. Mm. Like this is huge for this team. Like those are all things we're better to write about right now than, you know, whether we can run the ball. And it said a lot. And like Peter King writes that Monday morning column every, it's been what, how long has that column been going on for? Oh, man. And time. It's a, it's, that's a legendary column of anyone who's reads sports at all. He led the column with Russell Wilson, the Russell Wilson Watson battle. So I don't know how the lead of all the stories to cover in the league, that's the number one story. And now you have our local coverage or your, I guess your local coverage. <laughs> um, Leading with the run game, which, yeah, for me, it's any story you do in that game to me has to be Russell Wilson. That was the best and most exhilarating game that he's probably ever played in the regular season. There's been other great ones. There's that New England game, his rookie year. There's been some crazy games along the way, that Pittsburgh game we mentioned. But, man, I I can't remember. And, like, a last-second victory like that where they scored 20 seconds left after he throws what almost was like a game-ending interception. Ugh. It's got to be real. And Paul Richardson's a great call. I'm very, very happy you brought that up. I was, I've been so impressed with Richardson. I was looking at this early. Richardson has more touchdowns this year than Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, AJ Green, and I think, and like there's someone else high on that list. That Larry Fitzgerald, he's got five touchdowns. None of those guys have more than four. Yep. And yeah, two were last game. He could have had three last game, but he's really developed into a nice player and. I was listening to a show with Mike Lombardi, who's one of my favorite football analysts personally. And after he raved about Wilson for like 20 minutes, the thing that he kept talking about was how good Paul Richardson looked as like a down the field threat, how good his route running has become and how good his hands were. And to like jump over that guy in that last drive to get the kickstart, that whole thing, man, he's become such a nice player. And it's nice to see that that like late season surge last year when Lockett went down, doesn't look like a fluke at all. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. I think it's, it's crazy to think that he's on pace for 10 to 11 touchdowns this season. Yeah. I mean, that, that's big. And over the last two weeks, top two players in the NFL. It's only two games, but it's still top two, not one and five or one and 10 or one and 15. Number one, number two in receiving touchdowns, Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham. Both have three touchdowns in the last two weeks. So 
small sample size, all that's all absolutely true, but it, it, it's interesting. And I was curious, you know, Dave Bowling brought up uh, his read on Jimmy Graham. I thought it was an insightful comment. I'm curious what your thoughts were. I hadn't really thought about the emotional connection he seemed to show in that game. Um, what, what was your read on, on uh, what Bowling said and, and, and just about how Graham played in that game in general? I thought it was a really good, smart take on the whole situation. Graham's, I know Pete and I, I think John, Pete has talked about this a lot. I think Jimmy really struggled with the trade rumors all year. And I, I think Pete even had to talk to him before the game. I, I know Ian Rappaport, I tweeted Sunday morning that the team was trying to trade him to get a left tackle. I know we've talked about that. You've talked about that. And it's Jimmy's a guy who, who yeah, when things are going against him, he kind of, he's had a tendency to like hide from the, from expectations. And to have that on that day where rumors are coming out that the team's trying to move him and to break out with the game winning touchdown, I think there was a ton of emotion in that game for him. And yeah. Maybe this was the moment where he truly became that Seahawk and the whole team really, you saw how quickly the team dispelled that rumor, which was surprising because it was pretty a logical rumor given how everything was shaping out. So yeah, I thought that was a really good point by Dave and something that I definitely had not thought of. And I just love how this, the team's come around and uh, kind of built around him and this, this techno dance they got going on right now. And <laughs> yeah. how awesome was Russell Wilson playing the flute? Uh, I love <laughs> how awesome was I mean was that the most human thing that you've seen Russell do right I mean like you know what? he's really come around this, this season I, I remember there was that thing in Tennessee where he led the pregame meeting mm-hmm. on what to do with that on the kneeling situation there was that there was this the f-bomb in the Colts game yep Teddy dresses up as Pete Carroll yep I don't, I don't know if you saw that and then the video for him Halloween. Yeah, it was great. He's coming out of his shell this year. Yeah, I don't know if, if you've got a family, Jeff, but um, there is something that that changes when you know you get married and and you have kids, and uh, you know it it has a way of having pretty pronounced you know um, profound impact on on your worldview, uh, namely that you're not the center of the the world anymore, um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if that's part of it. Um, you know, if uh, there's been so much concern about how his relationship with Sierra was going to be a distraction or causing problems, you know, maybe it's grounding him. Maybe it's it's helping him uh, let his walls down a little bit and and get more comfortable in his own skin. And uh, whatever it is, uh, it's it's been fun to see. And I, I, I the flute thing of all of those things really got me because. <laughs> He, it was so silly and, you know, he looked so foolish and who cares? I mean, that's the point is like, it is a joyous moment. You're celebrating with your team and you don't care what anyone thinks or what, you know, what <laughs> I'm sure the guys have that on loop in the, the film rooms, giving them all sorts of crap. And that's great. I mean, that, yeah, that's I part of, that's part of the camaraderie that you want to see building at this team as they head towards what we hope is a, you know, a resounding finish. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw the video on Thursday. The team tweet, the team's uh, Twitter account tweeted it out. It was like a clip from practice where the tight ends put Tanner McAvoy in like a box and started dancing around him and playing the flute. And watching the tight end coach, Pat McPherson's face, while well, this is all happening, he has no idea what's happening. And <laughs> this video service Thursday, I probably watched it like 20 times already. It's absolutely hilarious and totally ridiculous. 
I think McAvoy's wearing a jersey that says Macklemore on it. I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Luke so there's something going on with that. Out. Yeah, they're, they're just something fun about this team again. And, like, it seemed like they're really bonding. And it was cool to see, like, the tight end group has brought this offense together. And, like, I don't know if it's stupid dances or the whatever they're doing, but they're just so much fun to watch for and root for right now. And there's so much bad publicity sometimes surrounding the NFL. And this team – whether it's making blockbuster trades or last minute Vic, there's so much to like about this team right now. They're such a fun team to be supporting of. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds as you're talking. I was thinking a little bit about the real the real Rob report and uh, how yeah. much I miss miss that and and uh, you know you you how much would you pay to have Luke Wilson get a camera and walk around inside that locker room? I mean that. <laughs> Uh, it would be, it would be awesome. I'm pretty sure they banned anyone from doing that ever again. But, uh, <laughs> no, Sherm's had some cool stuff. That's true. That's yeah, true. He's had, what, like the little, the little real Rob report, like the similar feel to it on those videos he's been doing, but they're only like one minute videos. Not the same. Not quite the same. You don't have him trying to get Marshawn to talk on air, you know, all that <laughs> kind of fun stuff. But, um, yeah, like, look, we, we We've uh, we've been going a while here, and I want to you know we should close with a few few uh, few items. I mean, we've got we've got the trade. I think we've talked about that quite a bit, and um, I think this is huge. I think the Seahawks get immediately better. Uh, I think this defense is is still uh, quite good. We've got a Washington team coming in who's dealing with all sorts of injuries. Um, you know, this is a, this is a team that's actually been really pretty potent on offense. Kirk Cousins has had a really strong year. Um, maybe not what people realize, but he's been playing pretty well and dealt with a lot of dropped passes, which it could have had an even better year. His offensive line is almost completely out injured. Um, and then, you know, CX go to Arizona. They don't have Carson Palmer. And then they have Atlanta coming in who've been struggling and, um, you know, then they go down to San Francisco, who <laughs> just got Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, which is interesting. I, you know, I don't know if you feel any different, but I don't think that really changes significantly um, that team's um, trajectory. But you know, it's certainly better than than Hoyer. Yeah, there's a real chance we're heading towards this uh, Philadelphia game um, Sunday Night Football on in December third where the Eagles could be a one-loss team and the Seahawks could be a two-loss team and that that could be the game that essentially is deciding home field advantage for the NFC. Yeah, everything points to that right now because you mentioned Drew Stannon's playing in Arizona. That team with Palmer wasn't much of a threat, in my opinion. Without Palmer, they have no chance. Drew Stannon's terrible. There's writers on that team who think Blaine Gabbert's a major upgrade. Washington, unfortunately, I thought that was going to be a really good test, and it still might be, but they're really banged up. You mentioned the offensive line. They're missing Jonathan Allen, too, who's been a really, really impressive rookie on the defensive line. He's out for the season. Josh Norman's been banged up. Yeah, he hasn't really played this year, and Terrell Pryor's been an absolute zero for them. Jordan Reed, who's a guy who, who's the kind of player who usually gives the Seattle defense a lot of trouble, he's 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 hurt, too. So it's Vernon Davis, who's on his last legs in the NFL, and they're really banged up. Yeah, you're right. Although it's a quick turnaround for the Thursday game of the road in Arizona. There's right now it does. It looks like Seattle and Philly and maybe Minnesota are the teams to watch in the, in the conference. Yep. 
But uh, you're right. I think that Seattle Philly game, especially being in Seattle, that could be the game that determines the number one seed. And when Seattle gets that number one seed, they've pretty much gone to the Super. I think they've gone to the Super Bowl every time they've had the number one seed in the conference. I know 2005, 2013, 2014. That's probably the game that decides it. Yeah, I uh, honestly, if I look at the rest of the schedule, uh, the two toughest games to me, um, well. I'll go three toughest, but the games that like jump out to me are at Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a team that already was a monster on defense. They added Marcel Darius, um, who may or may not have any interest in playing good football anymore. But if he does, he's a monster. Um, and then you got home against the Rams. Um, between the Rams and Philly, I actually think the Rams are a more – concerning opponent um you know i think aaron donald's better than fletcher cox i think and i think that's too hot of a take i think that the rams defensive line is better than the eagles defensive line i think that um todd Gurley's better than ajayi or whoever else there you know look look at blanc um i think that eagles didn't go out and get a left tackle as far as i know they're down jason peters uh Andrew, andrew whitworth is a better player I think the one important position where Philly's better than the Rams is quarterback. And uh, Wentz is, is legit. I think he's a good player. He came in here, played pretty well last year. Um, but, you know, that Rams team is is tough. And uh, I think that Jackson – you guys all laughed at me. I think that Jacksonville game is going to be real tough on the road. No, no, I, I think they're a really hard team to play against. And the te- kind of teams that can beat Seattle are the teams with those dominant defensive line groups. And, yeah, I don't – I know Blake Bortles is the guy everyone likes to laugh at, and they almost win in spite of him. But they they got that formula that those Rams teams have had over the years, and that's kind of how you beat this team. But I think of all the games, that's probably the least important game from a positioning standpoint. It's an out of conference game. It's a so if you're gonna lose one, I'm very okay if you're gonna lose that game, right? Right, and I I think that's that's the question is you know can they lose one? um that that's going to be you know 13 wins tends to be home field advantage and we were talking earlier it didn't seem like anyone was going to get there i can see a path now for a few teams you know philly and and maybe the rams uh and the seahawks i think uh the vikings the vikings might as well i mean detroit's fallen back green bay is obviously nothing anymore um uh, the Bears have been uh, an interesting team this year. They've been tougher than than I yeah. think most of us expected. But uh, the Vikings and Rams play each other. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. So check out this schedule. The Rams after they play at New York this week, which is probably a victory for them. The Giants. After that, here's their run. They're home to Houston. They play at Minnesota. They play home to New Orleans. At Arizona. They play home to Philly and then at Seattle. That is a crazy schedule. That's true. That's true. That's that, that seems that's like a couple losses in there for sure. Yeah, that's a ridiculous schedule. Wow, Rams, Texans. Yeah, that's not easy, man. That that is going to be an interesting. Uh... Probably five of the six best teams in the league, other than maybe New England and Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, I don't know what to make of Pittsburgh. That's another whole conversation. I know. Ben looks like a guy who's just like lost his jump shot. He's hanging on. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the AFC when we have Yeah, to. we don't have to worry about that yet. But, but yeah, I, I think I think this this is a, the only time all year the CX are going to have back-to-back home games. Um, you know, we're going to get to see Dwayne Brown slid in there at left tackle. And, you know, let's just close on this. The, the part of the Dwayne Brown um, – what's the part of the Dwayne Brown deal that makes you most excited? Like what impact, what specific impact are you hoping to see um, his effect on the team that, that's going to make a difference? That Rui Sodiamo's on the bench. <laughs> okay. I, 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 seriously, um, just to have a stable, like the, I think John Schneider called him a mountain of a man. To have a guy like that where you're not every time the guy's rushing, you're fearing for your life as a fan. Just to have the stability, that for me makes a world of difference because when they had Okung, you didn't appreciate it, I don't think, enough. And that's just natural because you don't realize what you've got until it's gone and like that whole thing. But just to have that stability there, I think, makes a world of difference. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm, I'm most uh, looking forward to is just the idea of getting more players out into pass patterns without having to chip or without having to stay out, stay back. I think that having a guy like Brown can mean Jimmy Graham is not chipping on his way out on routes. He can just go out and detach and run them. It means that, that JD McKissick or CJ Procise, if he ever makes it back, um, don't have to stay in to block or, you know, stay back an extra click to, to chip. They can go out. Uh, in routes. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, that has a potentially massive impact and, and, you know, I could go into <laughs> impact in the running game. It'd be great to see what we could do there. But, um, uh, you know, we just talked, we started the show talking about how great of a deep pass Russell Wilson is. He's already getting really good pockets to throw in right now and making some big plays. You know, this is going to give Daryl Bevel, I think it's going to open up an entire part of the playbook that he's basically just shut off because yeah. he knew he couldn't call those plays with the the type of player he had at left tackle. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm really excited. I think this could be, um, you know, the, maybe the best strep, stretch of Seahawks offense in a while. And, and you know, I looked at, at past defenses that the Seahawks are going to face you know, five of their final, you know, nine games or whatever it is um, are against pass defenses from a DVOA standpoint or efficiency standpoint or 22nd or worst uh, or worse in, in that department. So um, and and almost all of them um, are, you know, bottom 15. Um, only the Rams and the, the Jaguars are, you know, top 10 pass defenses that they're going to face the rest of the year. So uh, I think they can make some hay and, um with that, uh, I think we're going to put a wrap on this week's show. appreciate everyone hanging with us while we got uh, found a way to get Dave on there. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed him. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Um, click down there to subscribe. More people that subscribe, that share the show, grow the, the audience. The bigger the guests that we're going to get on, we're already getting a lot of great folks. Um, got some other folks lined up that are still coming. Um, but we also just want to grow the community. So, um, you know, there's a chat. It's been great uh, getting to know and see some of the regulars come on there. And if there's people you'd love to see us try to get on the show, um, please let us know that as well. Um, yeah. You know, but you can find Jeff uh, on Twitter at Real Jeff Simmons. 
Um, and me, as you know, is a ad hoc blogger. And uh, keep an eye out for all the great stuff we got coming. And, and uh, man, can't wait till Sunday. See you later, yeah. Jeff. Yeah, man. Shout out to John Schneider for that trade. Yes. Thank you, John. Cheers, all. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.